Hey, it's Rachel. This week on the She Loves podcast, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Women's International Sexuality Mentor and Healing Coach, Grace Hazel. We talked about her journey to becoming a renowned vagina witch, the certain steps we can all take today to reconnect with our sexual identity, ways in which we can explore ourselves in a playful manner, and the mindful steps we can take to heal our relationships. I can guarantee you guys, it is a juicy one. So welcome, Grace, to the She Loves podcast. To give you a bit of background, I guess, I actually worked with Grace, well, I had the pleasure of working with Grace on a one-to-one basis um, last autumn. And for me, it completely changed my life. And that's why I am super excited to bring her along today and have this discussion with her. So welcome, Grace. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on the podcast with you and to have taken this almost like switch as like you said that we were working together and now we're we're here and you're um in this space of guiding a podcast where we're talking about sexuality I just think that's so exciting to reflect on the fact that actually yeah when we start to step into doing sexuality work or looking at our own sexuality that really amazing things come of that such as not just in our sex life but creative projects and new ways of living our life so I think this is just a representation of of what this kind of work can do so I'm honored to be here thank you thank you well it's I'm still snuggled up ready for ready for this (laughs) discussion (laughs) (laughs) so um I guess let's kind of start from the start for people that do not follow you can you describe a little more about what you do and your journey Yeah, absolutely. So I um, am a sexual healing coach and I specifically uh, specialize in working with cisgendered women. And so if you pop onto my Instagram just for one minute, you'll notice that I am obsessed with talking about vaginas and I say the word pussy a lot. And um, that comes from my own experience and my own timeline on having to really, really uh, look at my own sexuality and do a lot of healing work around that and yeah the the way that I got into working within the sexuality field and most specifically talking about sexuality and pussy is because when I was in my late teens 20s I had a condition called vulvodynia and vulvodynia meant that um, every time I had sex it was really really painful which was um yeah, not great when you're in your early 20s <laughs> and um, was something that I had to live with for quite a, a long time. So it was almost like a decade. Um, and initially what my what I had to do was go to the doctors and then I went to hospitals to look at what was going on and to get diagnosed. Um, with vulvodynia and um, that took a really long time so nobody at that point knew what vulvodynia was and they were um, unsure of what to do with me let's say so um, I was put on a lot of medication um, to numb down let's say the pain in my vagina and what I kind of now see that as was a numbing down of my body's wisdom and my body saying hey something's up and you need to look at me Um, and instead of looking at that it was like a numbing down with medication Um, so my path has really been um, working out first of all what was going on with me why physical pain was coming up um, in regards to whenever I had sex and um, looking really at my relationship to sex and what I had defined in my blueprint from the moment I was born to the point where I was in my early teens and 20s and redefining everything essentially. And with doing that and doing a lot of um, self-inquiry and um, understanding really that my body was voicing that there was, there was actually something to look at rather than this is a pain that I need to get rid of, it supported me to see that actually, yeah, there is a whole world of people who are in similar positions not necessarily experiencing physical pain, but actually it could be mental pain blocks around sexuality or um, emotional blocks around sexuality. And so um, once I'd healed um, the physical pain around vulvodynia, I was like, oh, there's something in this and I need to actually go out there now and um, support others to start to come into a position of, 
we have a relationship with sex and sometimes it's twisted. So let's empower our relationship to sex. Let's heal our relationships to sex. And that can um, start to redefine how we live our life. So when you were going through kind of the process of vulvodynia, sorry, and having that diagnosis, were you by yourself? Were you with a partner? I guess what we're trying to get at is what angle, um, how did you communicate that with? Yeah, yeah. So I was in a long term relationship at that time, which, as you can imagine, so it was at the beginnings. um, It was like such a it was probably if I look back at all of my sexual experiences up until that point, that was one of the most explorative, juicy, connected, intimate, deep sexual experiences I'd had with this partner and so the the very beginnings of our relationship was exploring and having fun in so many different ways for our sex life but also through lots of avenues and so when Volgadinia kicked in it was like um, for me I felt there was a sense of not only did my ability to connect with my partner fade away mm-hmm. but my ability to connect with life so I really see that, um, yeah, our, our, our sexuality relates to so many aspects. So when I'm shut off in my sexuality, what I describe is that I see the world almost in grey. And when I'm switched on and tapped in, I see in colour. And when I initially got vulvodynia and essentially my sexual energy just shut down, cut off, what happened for me was that everything became gray again. So I was disconnected from life. And with that, I became disconnected from my partner, disconnected from my purpose. I was really lost. And that happened that was going on for a long time. So yeah, I was with a partner. Um, obviously, we're not together anymore. <laughs> and yeah, we, we ended up ending the relationship after a number a number of years with me having vulvodynia but that that piece you know the sexual piece the part of well we can't have sex without me getting into lots of pain was the um let's say that the main conversation we were having at all times because it's it's a big i feel sex is a big glue for connecting within our relating Definitely. So what are the kind of like when you work with women on a one-to-one basis, what do you find are the most common problems in terms of, you know, women that maybe are not in a relationship and are single compared to women that are in relationships? And that's a really good question, Rachel, because I do see different experiences happening depending on whether you're in relationship or not. And I would say most common for um, folks who are not in relationship is not being able to orgasm. So not reaching orgasm during sex. And I want to just reestablish that I like to look at things as not problems, but things that are being experienced. Because it's, you know, if you're not experiencing orgasm, it's not problematic. It's something that's being experienced. And when we look at it as a problem, it can become more pressurized that oh my god it's such an issue that this isn't happening so when we can start to look at it from a way of being like okay this is something I'm experiencing currently I want to experience something else it can be really beneficial so I feel um in the sense of that direction when people are not experiencing orgasm and they are not in a relationship that can sometimes be to do with the feeling that they're not completely safe so they're not fully allowing their body to to let go And especially that feeling of safety doesn't always come from one night stands or from seeing someone for a little amount of time, which can happen when you're single. I love to put this little scientific bit in because it's my favorite bit of information that I learned um, last year, which is that our brain, and this is especially for for women, we have a part of our our brain, which is the amygdala. And our amygdala, get all my words out, science science sometimes fails me with the words, amygdala, (laughs) the amygdala, it's responsible for looking at our surroundings and saying, am I safe? Am I safe? So it continues to look out and be switched on when we don't quite feel that we're safe. This is also the part of our brain that needs to switch off so that we can orgasm. 
okay? So there is something in our brain that actually it's like this thing that's saying we need to feel like we can let go mm -hmm. to be in the body so we can experience more pleasure, but also this, this part of our brain needs to feel safe enough that it switches off so we can orgasm. So that's the single folks' um, most common, let's say, thing that they come to me for. Um, for folks who are in relationships, the most common thing is not feeling sexual desire anymore. So a lot of the time there is a lack, let's say, of sexual energy, a lack of um, libido, a lack of desire for relating with their partner, a sense of being switched off. And usually, and I love, I love working with people who are experiencing this because most of the time what's occurring is something not necessarily because I think people come and they're like, there's something wrong with me. And actually there's nothing wrong with them. Let's say it's what's going on in the relationship. And that can be a breakdown in communication. It can be a experience that the couple um, had, let's say, a year ago that never really got resolved. And so I can say from my own experience, this happened to me in a previous relationship when I had an abortion with the partner I was with. But that really was a, a, tra a traumatizing experience. Rather than a, something that we came together and got closer for, we, we came apart and then my sexual energy shut down so when that's that's what happens with couples it's like we what the the medicine usually is is to get people communicating again to start to heal around the things that perhaps started off the shutdown from sex and getting the the, the partners to connect in a new way so that they actually can start to feel attraction and love for one another again and clear out the space that's blocking their ability to connect which could be to do with those things that have happened in the past so that's what I see the most happening so really boundaries and communication are such a kind of a glue as you said that keep people together what steps should we really take when entering a relationship with someone and especially when entering that sexual relationship with someone how can we create those open boundaries open waves of communication mm, yeah so and again this can be like two different ball games depending on whether you're in a relationship or whether you're first starting one and I find that when you're first beginning a relationship it can be like a really good invitation an opportunity to say hey this is the relationship that I really want to go to walk into consciously that I really want to have open communication with this person throughout to state boundaries and to get really um, in a place where both of you are completely authentic and being true with each other at all times. So that, that kind of relationship can start off quite in a, in a fresh way with those layers in. So I'll talk a little bit about those two options as well, because I think it's good to just acknowledge them. Folks who are in relationships and they're realizing that perhaps communication has broken down, that um, they're not talking to one another, that there are things that are unresolved, starting to open up into having conscious communication spaces can feel perhaps a little bit like niggly at first because that hasn't been the blueprint of the relationship yet. So my guidance would be if you're in this position that it could be really good to have just one session with someone who practices conscious communication, like a therapist or a coach, to get both parties on board with the way to do that. So it's like a new thing that you're doing in, in your relationship that's guided by someone. Because then that comes from a mutual balanced place, um, rather than one partner coming in and saying, you need to talk to me consciously now. And the other being like, um, huh? <laughs> I do. <laughs> so... In regards to conscious communication, and I keep saying the word conscious, and there's a lot of talk about this, let's say online, about conscious relating, conscious communication, and I think sometimes we have to watch the word conscious, but what I define that meaning is that you go into a relationship, or you're in a relationship where you are sat in the space of being like, okay, we're two human beings, 
and we're choosing to be with one another, but we both carry a lot of BS, right? Every human being does. And we're going to trigger each other sometimes. And we're going to be triggered by life sometimes. Or we might feel desires outside of the relationship at times. We won't want to have um, exploration sexually that we've never had before that might trigger the other partner. Mm-hmm. When you're in a, let's say, um, a relationship where you, you haven't got that open dialogue, what happens is those, those feelings or those, those parts that come up can tend to be suppressed. Yeah. And this is when sometimes we start to move apart to, to um, lack desire in the relationship. So when we're consciously relating, it's an agreement that you'll bring it all that you'll bring all pieces of yourself responsibly. You know, you're not just telling the other person to fix you or that it's their fault. It's taking responsibility for all of your experience and being brave enough to communicate that with them non-violently so that the two of you can evolve through the relationship and grow the relationship and transform through the relationship rather than, let's say, going into the assumed roles that you've played out or you're, you're, you've seen play out within your families before that. It's a decision to say, I want something different and I want to evolve myself and with you at the same time. It's interesting that because I have found recently, especially online, you know, being in this kind of 27 years old, watching all these other girls I went to school with you know get engaged get married etc but the language that they used around these partnerships and this conscious communication I find quite interesting in the sense it's always oh I found my better half or I found my Uh, other half and I'm like oh oh well it just it triggers me in the sense like I not I feel sorry for them that's a horrible word to say but I feel sympathetic in the way that they haven't quite found themselves as a whole being first and they're not able to fully show up as a whole person within that relationship and do find that they need someone else to then be whole I'm all over that it's just a recent observation (laughs) I have a similar thing um I'm 32 Mm -hmm. so loads of my friends have got married now I've had babies and um, are doing things with their partners in a different way to what I would choose. And then also, when you were saying that, I had this, I'm obsessed with the BBC, I think it's BBC or Channel 4, whatever, programme First Dates. Have you ever watched First Dates? <laughs> obsessed. I have loved it. Before I did this work, I was obsessed, and I'm still obsessed now, to witness how people date each other mm-hmm. when they're... It's almost like when they're coming from a place of, I really need to find my soulmate or my other half. It's, it's just interesting to just watch it and watch the dynamic play out. Exactly. And there's no right or wrong because those folks are probably having a, a great time. <laughs> and so I, I don't want to kind of go, oh, that's the wrong way. However... I believe that when you choose to be in relationship with someone and really work on it and to go deep with them, it's like I really believe that it's my soul's calling and it's literally why I'm here on earth is to learn more about love and relationships because as individual beings on our own path, we can get a lot done and we can learn a lot about life and we can do transformative work and evolve, et cetera, if you're you're on that path. However, when you meet someone else and they come into your field or you decide to relate with them, it's like that gets supercharged. You can't hide from any of your stuff because it's all just being projected in the relationship. So communication has to be there realness about what's going on within you has to be there in those types of relationships and I think personally my choice is like that's way more exciting as a life path than falling into um what my family's done or what my assumed roles are as a cisgendered woman in a relationship you know it's like actually how about making it exciting and redefining that for ourselves 
And I was actually considering this because um, I've recently just ended something with a partner and I was like, what is it that I really want? And I was like, well, maybe I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship for the rest of my life. Maybe I want my life to look like this. And it's like, we're in full control of the types of relationships we call in. And I think that's a really fun piece to know that we're in charge of that. We're in charge of the, the partners that we, we, we have and that we continue to have. So, Picking up on kind of, I guess, um, narrative and being in control and in charge, we've grown up in a very interesting society where female, females have been suppressed, you know, whether that's in the widestream media. How can we kind of, as women, you know, take small steps to feel more sexually liberated in our identity and also our personality so when we do show up in the bedroom we feel great we are in control we can we know exactly what we want and how to ask for what we want Mm, yeah I always like to begin especially with client work or with anyone that I speak to really is starting to really get to know our own bodies and our own pleasure. And that comes through physical touch. So masturbation, self-pleasure. And so it's a mix really, I see it, of learning about the um, history of what we've built our, our belief systems around sex and what it is to be a sexual woman to be. And looking at the pieces that actually don't feel liberating or empowering. Okay. So I, just this one example has just popped into my head. For example, when I was in school, I was labeled a slut for sexually exploring and by the older girls in my school. And that was a really upsetting time for me as a girl. Right. So what happened there is that I learned a belief system that said um, to be sexual, to be sexually explorative outside of a relationship with someone is your slut. <laughs> and so that there isn't a belief system that supports me to feel confident in my sexuality, to feel that I can express my sexuality. So knowing those bits and bobs that are sat there in your subconscious and, and bringing them to the surface and saying, oh, actually, that's not something that I want to um, live by anymore. That's a really good point to start to go, okay, shedding layers of stuff that I've been told. Yeah. Um, And then, as I said, initially coming back to the body and touching the body, you know, exploring in a way. And I like to say exploring in a childlike manner, as in innocently. (laughs) So you're touching your body like you've never touched it before. And you're learning about, oh, actually, even though I know sometimes when I touch my vulva or my clitoris, that feels immediately pleasurable. Well, what happens if I explore a different touch around my neck and the back of my head or um, seeing it's, it's like using self-pleasure as a practice to be with yourself, to understand what you like and what you don't like. And when you start to cultivate that awareness of your body and when you start to cultivate that sexual energy in your system through self-pleasure, that can also be a clearing out of all of this history stuff that I was speaking about. So I'll explain that in a little more detail. It's my belief that um, we hold sexual energy down in our genitals, okay? So sexual energy, I equate that to life force. And throughout life, we are consistently pushing down our life force. An example, when you were young and you were running around like it, having the time of your life and, and a parent or caregiver comes over to you and it's like, calm down, shh, you know, or you fall over and you start crying because it bloody hurts. And someone's like, oh, here's a tissue, shh, 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 shh. We're constantly pushing down life force. So when we start to harness our sexual energy, and that can come through self-pleasure, we start to invite sexual energy back into our system without judgment. And so sexual energy can start to move, not just from our genitals, but it can start to move throughout our body. And that can clear out anything that's holding, that's blocking our ability to show up fully charged with sex, let's say, with life force. So it's about 
knowing history from a psychological sense and there are some amazing so I, I feel like when you're working therapeutically with someone there's an amazing way of just you know looking at history yeah. and understanding it from a cognitive space but we need to also embody it and that's when the the stuff around touch around understanding that sexual energy is here in our genitals and its life force it's like well, we need to marry the two together so it's the embodiment and the understanding that needs to, it's the body and mind that needs to come yeah. together and we do we hold on to i guess so much fear as well when we do meet either when it's with ourselves or with someone else in the bedroom and it's tapping back into that child's play you know we have to show up as adults to an extent in every other day of our life so to be able to tap back into that exploration and just kind of no fear of judgment the not judging is so huge and um again when it comes to self-pleasure and when it comes to ju just actually feeling pleasure in the body when we come into those experiences whether it be with ourselves or we, with a partner or partners and we have expectation that we need to feel a certain way or we need it to look a certain way it completely eradicates the pleasure that could happen in the space so it stops us from being in the body and experiencing what pleasure's there for us because it takes us up into the mind yeah. and so when we're judging the experience we're immediately popping ourselves here in the mind and the mind isn't when we where we feel pleasure so we want to be in the body we want to be in the here and the now and in the present moment listening to our body and the other person's body if we're with someone's um so someone at that same time so that we're there without judgment and we're just feeling and that comes with with practice um it's almost like i don't want it to sound boring but like sex can and self-pleasure can become a meditation practice you know bringing right. pleasure into our body and bringing ourselves into the present moment can be become part of self-pleasure and sex but it's tapping into that energy yeah so do you have any books or brand recommendations that women who are looking to explore themselves sexually should invest in? Yeah, totally. So what I would say initially is that my, my feeling is that the ultimate way to explore and start exploring with your body could be simply by just being with you and your hands, because that's the most, you know, tactile learning method ever, right? Yeah. And then when we start to involve sex toys or teachings about how to touch your body that's great but initially I feel like just using our god-given body is is the perfect start however there are a few books that could be important or good to read which will support opening your eyes up to the pleasure that a, your body can hold especially with self-pleasure and the one that's coming to me first of all is sherry winston's book the women's anatomy of arousal and i have another book which is um i don't have a book i didn't write it just to be clear <laughs> i think that the author is emily i can't remember her surname it begins with an n and the book is come as you are so these two books are quite different in their way of writing and the perspective comes as you are, comes from a much more scientific understanding about arousal and sexuality and women's anatomy of arousal comes from more of a let's think about energetics point of view. Both of them um, speak about anatomy, um, especially in uh, women's anatomy of arousal and they're really good foundational books to read to get an understanding of the way that we work a liberated understanding of the way that we work in regards to things to use i and i'm going to ask you as well because i know that you've been on your own exploration too um i love to use things like um crystal pleasure ones or yeah i'll talk about crystal pleasure ones firstly because that's a, a whole thing in itself um, I know that Yoni Pleasure Palace, though, that's where I get my crystal pleasure ones from. Um, so that's the brand that I would recommend. And you can use the word Pussy Grace to get a discount on their website. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I love using crystals because they are, from the perspective of the fact that that material that they're made from is healing. 
So if you're looking to do more sexual connection and healing work, using a crystal wand can be amazing. Something like a rose quartz or a black obsidian is especially good for if you're looking at like supporting emotional release or trauma release. Um, they are good for getting into de-armoring the vagina walls. And when I say de-armoring, it's coming back to that perspective or that understanding that our body holds things. So our, our vagina is just the same. Um, we hold emotion, we hold memory in our vagina. And so doing breathing practices and massage practices with a pleasure wand can be really great at getting into to trigger points or pain points or numbness points and, and um, bringing on a sense of letting go emotionally and physically. Then there are brands like, and the brand is escaping me. So I'm going to ask you because the brand has just got out of my mind and I know that it's the one that you would have been using. <laughs> Personally, for me, I did buy a Rose Hortz crystal wand and I wasn't that big a fan. Mm -hmm. But the brand that I love is Lilo. Yes, exactly. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, have her, I have the Lilo Sona. Yeah, um, and I recommend it to all my friends. They probably think I'm like endlessly plugging them with it. But <laughs> it got to the point I was like, "Girl, if you've not used one, I'm going to buy you one." <laughs> you need to be a brand ambassador. Maybe <laughs> one day. And that. So, thank you for reminding me of that brand because that is the the one that I would recommend and um, I love Lilo because they have taken sex toys and vibrators and made it like their branding is quite beautiful and their sex toys are really really great yeah. and I feel just to, to give a bit of perspective on those two um, things of okay so crystal wands and crystal stuff and then vibrators really depends on the situation so I went through a phase where I wouldn't recommend or even advise people to use vibrators. And I was only talking about hands and crystals. Yeah. The reason that I did that is because I think that we are, as, a, as hu human nature, how we live our lives, we're really overstimulated. And so we look for more things to overstimulate us. And that comes in the sense of the ways that vibrators can be. We're quickly being stimulated towards a peak of orgasm, let's say, a peak of pleasure. Yeah. And for folks who actually need the opposite of that, it may be that they're experiencing in their vulva or their vagina um, numbness or they're not feeling much actually inviting sensitivity back on the subtle in subtle ways such as really light touch can start to activate the nervous system to feel again okay because maybe they've been using vibrators for a long time and that means that then when they have subtle touch from a lover they don't feel a thing so they rely on vibrators so I went through a phase of chucking vibrators, let's say, in the bin, lob them out. <laughs> I didn't actually chuck them in the bin. Okay. I was like, I can't. Um, but it's a sense of just saying, hey, I'm going to detox from vibrators so that I can sensitize my body to more subtle things. And that's when we weave into the realms of energetic orgasms and things that go beyond the body because we're tuning into the subtleties. However... Vibrators are brilliant and I really believe that vibrators can bring for folks who perhaps haven't experienced an orgasm or yeah, want to connect to their pleasure quickly. Vibrators are so cool because it's like, oh my God, all of this hidden pleasure in my vagina or my, my vulva that I didn't know about. So I celebrate it all basically. Wherever you find your kicks, get it. <laughs> Champion it all. Let's go on to orgasm. So you know what we've grown up being taught that to orgasm it's specifically only done through penetration but that is not true so mm. can you explain to the listeners what the difference may be between men and women is in that sense yeah so with orgasm and we'll talk about it in regards to cisgendered women initially because I think that when it comes to orgasm and this does apply to men but I want to talk more about women because I know that this is going to be for mostly women listening we have the ability to have all kinds of orgasms and it's not just from physical stimulation. So the most, most talks about orgasm, let's say, would probably be 
a clitoral orgasm, which would be stimulation from our clitoris, which is our vulva. It's not our whole vulva, but it's like at the top of our vulva. And then we have, we, there's lots of talk about internal stimulate. I always do this and it's so crass. Up it goes. The G-spot orgasm. <laughs> So that's a lot of talk about clitoral stimulation for orgasm and then G-spot orgasm. So um, G-spot orgasm would be through penetration. However, when I think of the G-spot, I get I don't get annoyed about it, but I think that there needs to be constantly a conversation about the fact that the G-spot isn't this miraculous spot that when pressed, you go into an immediate orgasm. Neither is the clitoris, but in a woman's body, we need to get turned on. We need to physically in the anatomy of our our vulva when we start to become turned on we start to engorge so the blood the blood literally starts to go just like a man's penis would get erect our our vagina and our vulva starts to engorge and you know when you're engorged because you could look in the mirror and see that your vulva is looking very puffy when that's happened the urethral sponge which is actually the g-spot so it's not a spot it's the urethral sponge that becomes engorged too so the um the sensitivity of it will be pleasurable when touched when you're engorged if you were to and i'm sure many of us have experienced this if we've ever had a checkup at a gp or an sti test when you're not engorged and someone shoves or putting a tampon in when someone shoves something up your vagina that's uncomfortable right so we need to be turned on engorged for penetration for penetration to feel pleasurable and when we're there that's when g-spot orgasms can emerge it doesn't necessarily mean that they will so um obviously i'll I'll just leave it on the physical perspective first when we think of men they ejaculate or orgasm through yeah penetration or having their their cock touched in a certain way and the way that that would happen for with a woman would either be like it would be penetration in in some way whether that be through your mouth whether or whether that be again not particularly penetration with a hand job but definitely penetration when you're putting cock in pussy that's not necessarily the way that women are going to reach an orgasm so there is a need to start to um, look at the way that we are having sex especially if we're talking in that hetero way of, of, of man and woman, to understand that men's pleasure is a lot different to women's pleasure. And for both of us to be online in pleasure, we need to do things differently. I look at the sexual energy of women. It's almost like if you look at it on a chart, it would be like this going up and up. And sometimes it gets down and as it goes up. Men are more literally like their erect cocks. So they're like this. <laughs> So it goes fast for men. We need to go like this a bit more. So it's peaks and waves. So there's a lot of need for foreplay and for the thought of sex coming away from penis and vagina. Sex isn't penis and vagina. And I know for a long time that's what I... If I was talking about sex, I'd be talking about penis and vagina for hetero sex. And um, actually, it's so much bigger than that. And um, it's like we could have sex with someone just by sitting in front of them, breathing with them and connecting in and feeling sexual energy between one another. That could be classified as a sexual experience. That can be um, coming back to that talk about orgasm that can be orgasmic when we tune into the sensitivity of what our body can feel and to circle back to your original question I want to say that on a really real and scientific level it's been proven that we're way more than just the physical body like we're made up of energy quantum physics proves that so when we intend it and when we open up our minds to the understanding that I as Grace you as Rachel don't end here at the lines of your skin and we go out way bigger like way further than that the ability for us to drop into different orgasmic states becomes available to us so we can have full body orgasms that ripple through our whole body we can have energetic orgasms that 
almost aren't even happening in the genitals it's just like everything's happening between two people so yeah sex isn't just penis and vagina sex is so much more than that and um it takes a bit of yeah connecting work and 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 getting aware of those things that I just spoke of but we can experience so much more than just the physical reality of orgasm and two bodies bumping against one another. I love what you said about we as humans were just made up of atoms really there's so much more to us than just what you see in the physical sense. So I know we've kind of talked about you know reclaiming um your sexual identity but however when it comes to reclaiming your womanhood I know you've got a very specific teaching on this yeah totally so I firstly want to say that in regards to bleeding the cisgendered women not all cisgendered women bleed and I've worked with quite a few people or spoken to quite a few people and it's it's a challenge because it's something that they want to bring back but it's not something that is naturally within their cycle so um in regards to those folks um there are so many ways to get back into connection with a cycle even if you aren't physically bleeding and i'm just going to quickly speak to that um to say that it's quite empowering for some folks to understand that so i bleed with the cycle of the moon it's such a phenomenon i can't say that word there you go phenomenal (laughs) (laughs) such a phenomenon it's a phenomenon (laughs) that women bleed with the moon and also that we bleed together it makes a bit of sense that we would bleed with the moon because we as humans are i can't remember the percentage now it's gone out of my head but it's something like 70 80 percent made up of water is it 75 yes i think it's 75 don't quote us on that yeah don't quote us but it's it's definitely 75 But we're we're basically, we're we're made up of a lot of water and the moon controls the tides. So the moon has a lot of, it governs us a lot. The fact that I now bleed on full moon and that on full moon, I go through it, go through the ringer. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's a lot. Yeah, it's but it's really, it feels for me quite uh, primordial, prim- <laughs> using words like I'll say, primordial and ancient. It yeah. feels like I'm linked in to the cycle that the ancestors way, 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 way back would, were, were into. And that feels like a liberation for me. So folks who aren't bleeding, just to bring it back to that quickly, connecting to the cycle of the moon can be a way to start to allow yourself to understand that you still do own a cycle that maybe you're not bleeding yet but you still do own a cycle also for folks who aren't bleeding i notice a lot when we start to connect with our sexual energy when we start to connect actively to our if we have wounds our womb um our periods tend to come back i don't want to say this is like the science doctor person but It's what I see through the women that I work with, especially women who have taken my course, The Awakening. They connect to their womb actively. They connect to the different parts of the energies in their their pussy. And their periods come back if they have a womb, right? Um, They're able to to bleed um, because you're bringing your awareness there and you're saying, hey, what's up? So that's a really beautiful way. And for those who are menopausal or who've gone through the menopause or who have had their womb removed or their cervix removed, again, connecting to the cycles can be a really beautiful way of remaining in that flow, that, 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 that cyclical way um, of living. For folks who are bleeding, <laughs> um, oh my God, what a fucking blessing um, it is to bleed. And um, yeah, I, um, I wrote something a few months ago about when I first started to tune into this thing around collecting your period blood and offering it to the earth. I remember being like, in fact, the first time I heard that being said was in my mid-twenties maybe younger and um I remember being on a date with someone and just getting a little bit like I was teaching yoga at the time I was like I just really like the moon stuff that's going around and I read this thing about people who collected their blood and gave it to the earth and I was like what I was like what that is so strange (laughs) 
I'm fast not. forward. <laughs> and now I'm just laying all over my body. And... <laughs> I seen your pictures yesterday. I knew what you were up to. <laughs> Get it everywhere. And even when I kind of transitioned out of that, that's so fucking weird. And I had a moon cup and I collect my blood and I, I had my ex-boyfriend, my, who was my boyfriend at the time, I wasn't sneaking into his house and doing this. But I, um, <laughs> I used to collect my moon blood and when he wasn't in his room, I'd feed it to his plum. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been growing. <laughs> it was so nourished. It was like the most beautiful that plant had ever been. And I remember saying to him, hey, like, what would you do if you found, if I were feeding my period blood to your plant? And he was literally horrified at the, the thought that I would do that. And um, it's just funny, right? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's not doing, he wouldn't be saying the same thing anymore because he's got on his own journey it's not that he celebrates moon blood or anything but I think that he'd be a little bit more like okay got you but it's like there is such a stigma mm-hmm. around the conversations around blood especially I think that we're a lot we're more okay with it when we're talking let's say to fellow bleeders yeah. but when we're talking to someone who doesn't bleed and doesn't have the you know a, a man <laughs> um there's a sense of still oh I, I'm not sure about how to handle that so it, it still feels like there's a little little bit of stigma or it depends on who you're talking to a lot of stigma however when we're bleeding I believe it can be a really beautiful time to honor the fact that a just before we bleed um due to the concoctions of hormones that are rushing through our system we're way more likely to be sensitive to the world around us I personally don't tend to get as angry as some people, but I get really upset and sad. So I will do a lot of crying up yeah. during my, just before my period. And instead of going into a space of trying to just get on with my life, or I understand that that's a privilege that I can slow down, but it, it, it's like I'll give myself space to understand that those emotions are valid and they're a representation of what's going on in my life that perhaps is asked asking me to look closer in into or perhaps is asking me to make changes and to let go of those certain things I've broken up with ex-boyfriends you know when I've been just about to bleed and I trust that mind frame and that emotional frame way more than another point in my cycle because I'm intuitive at that point I know what needs to go um so then when we bleed it's like this opportunity to honor the fact that we're bleeding as a letting go process again oh I just get these like my heart starts to go um because it is an ancient process to let go of our blood and connect our womb blood to the earth it's something that holds a really deep importance for women in the reclamation of the ways we used to do things, which were when we would celebrate the earth, we revered the earth as our, it was like the goddess and we, and women were revered as that as well. So connecting our womb blood and the codes that our womb blood holds to the earth was a practice that that provided us with more intuition and more connection to the land which we perceived as the goddess and the god it's like it was life force so i've gone off on a tangent there (laughs) i was just thinking it just yeah it brings it all back to exactly why we call her mother nature yeah because mother nature is the woman yeah exactly it's the feminine and it's it's um I've been sat with a lot how this this piece around the earth and our feminine nature sexuality let's say so the earth and sexuality and how it links and I've been called a lot and I work a lot with the earth and um I feel that there is a real mirror in the fact that our sexuality as women over the ages was raped was um subdued was um destroyed in different ways 
And in the same way, when the patriarchy came in, and this is what happened with women, the patriarchy came in and just slammed se women's sexuality. In the same way that happened in um, all of the native ways, that, the, like the native of our land, and, and this is like worldwide, when white folks started going into native lands and taking away their practices, which was all about celebrating the earth, they raped those cultures, they abolished those cultures, and it's the same energy. It's the patriarchy taking away the sexuality and the feminine. So our earth, like reinstating this connection to the earth is the exact same thing as reinstating our relationship to our sex. It's the same thing for women. And I feel sometimes like so emotional about that. I'm like, I want to cry because it's the same, same thing. And that's what we're liberating. It's like as women, as we evoke and initiate our connection to our sexuality, it's healing the lands and it's healing. It's like humanity healing. Okay. So it's not just you that gets that medicine. It's the earth that responds so again when we offer our blood up to the to the earth as an offering but also holding that sense of i'm liberating my sexuality the earth feels that and that you know that heals the earth too so that's that <laughs> i honestly can't think of a better way to end <laughs> Wow, that was powerful. Thank you for letting me speak about that. I haven't actually um, spoken it out loud, recorded. <laughs> so that was really good to, to say. No, I do. I've kind of personally been on this that journey as well of kind of reconnecting with nature and Mother Earth, etc. in terms of like walking barefoot a lot. Well, I just wanted to say that I think it's amazing that you're doing this and um, that you're opening up these conversations and you're like, yeah. I said it at the beginning when we were recording, but I just think that it's amazing when we tap into our sexuality and we start to realize, oh my God, right. There's so much creative energy in me and so many things to bring forth. And the fact that I know that when we first started working together, you were like, oh, I, I feel a bit embarrassed about talking about yeah. sex. And then now we're here on a recorded podcast talking about sex. It's like, I just want to celebrate you for a moment. <laughs> yeah, it's been so good to chat to you. Well, the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the She Loves podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying these conversations with these inspiring women, be sure to share them with your friends, rate, review and subscribe wherever you are listening. If you've not already, check out our Instagram at She Loves Podcast and our website, shelovespodcast.com. We're also very keen to hear your stories. So if you're interested in writing for us or just want to have a chat, email us at weareshelovesgmail.com. At